Hi guys, Stu here. If you could support the podcast by following us wherever you subscribe to your podcast, that would be amazing. If you are enjoying our videos on the YouTube channel, uh, like and subscribe, like the individual videos and subscribe to the channel. Just search for Henry Weston's Old Mate. The continued support helps us to be able to provide more and more content going forward. Thank you so much for listening. Cheers. Just an extra reminder, guys, if you could leave us a five-star review within your podcast provider, that would help so very much. Simply scroll down below the list of episodes, wherever you get your podcasts, and it will give you the option to rate the show. If you could rate us five stars, that would be amazing. It will also give you the option to write a brief review. If you could do that on top, again, that will do nothing but help us out. Thank you so much. Finally, before we get into today's episode, guys, don't forget that we now have a Buy Me A Coffee page set up. If you log on to www.buymeacoffee.com, search H-W-O-M, standing for Henry Weston's old mate, of course, you can make a small donation towards the podcast. You could buy us anything from one to four cups of coffee, I believe. It will all go back into the podcast. It won't go flying me and Phil around the world. It will just enable us to buy better microphones, upgrade the software on computers and stuff, just be able to give you guys a better experience all round listening or watching the podcast. Now let's get to the episode. Good evening everybody and welcome to Henry Weston's Old Mate the Podcast. I am of course your host Stuart and tonight we are back on the addiction recovery subject. Uh, my guest Zoe has joined me. Before I ask Zoe to introduce herself, I will get the admin out of the way. If you would be so kind as to like, rate, review this podcast. Uh, if you are watching us on YouTube, please like the individual video, hit that subscribe button and share away. On your podcast subscriber, if you scroll below the episodes, uh, it will allow you to leave a five-star review and write a written review if you'd be so kind. Don't forget, we have a Buy Me A Coffee page set up. If anyone would like to donate and support, it's just find uh, find us at HWOM on www.buymeacoffee.com. And finally, my mum is still walking all over cancer for March. She's walking 10,000 steps a day to hopefully kick cancer's ass. We sadly know cancer affects one in two people. That is the awful statistic. Enough of that. Let's get on to my guest. Uh, Zoe, good evening. How are you? Hello, I'm good, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy to be here. Thanks, Stuart. Oh no, thank you so much. And it's a bit of a it's a bit of a funny story that you've come on because I, I emailed a sort of a mutual friend of ours because I mistakenly got the impression from a Facebook status she wrote a few months ago that she'd sort of adopted a life of sobriety. And she actually she messaged me straight back and she said, I haven't, but I have a friend who has, and that's why we're talking tonight. So so if you could just very briefly introduce yourself, uh, who you are, where you're from, if you'd be so kind, and um, then we'll get into your story of uh, alcoholism and your recovery from it. Right, yeah, thank you. So uh, I'm Zoe and I'm an alcoholic. I'm used to introducing myself as that nowadays, um, unfortunately, but obviously it's got its plus sides as well. I'm from Leeds um, in the UK. And I've been in recovery for about three years now. So I came in 2019, January 2019. Um, Fantastic. I've not been sober that long. I've been, I picked up my 18 month chip actually this week. 
Oh, congratulations. So, I mean, that, I mean, any yeah. chip is fantastic, but 18 months is absolutely amazing. That must have felt that must have felt like a huge achievement. I mean, every day is a huge achievement, isn't it? But 18 months is a significant, significant time frame. It is, yeah. After I've had 18 months of sort of relapsing and, and thinking I couldn't look like a normal person. And then obviously going out testing it and realizing that actually I was still an alcoholic. Um, yeah. And to then get to a point of 18 months of being, of being sober, it's like, yeah, it's beyond my wildest dreams, really. Well, sadly for us, or sadly for us as addicts, um, we all come with a bit of a, a backstory. You know, this podcast is going to be a bit in reverse, isn't it? We'll probably talk about the the bad times before we get back to the, the wonderful 18 months you've just sort of shared with us. So um, we've obviously exchanged, we've been exchanging text messages and the odd email for, for a couple of months now, Zoe. So I've got some some notes in front of me. You supplied me with a very open and honest email that, that I've made some notes from. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to sort of guide you through your story somewhat, but obviously that will involve you talking a lot more than me. The listeners will be very um, pleased to hear that. Um, so you, uh, growing up, Zoe, you were exposed to alcohol fairly regularly in your life. Um, you described your dad as a daily drinker. Um, could you expand on that a little bit for us and maybe how that, formed your early opinions of alcohol your early experiences with alcohol yeah no problem I mean my dad still is a daily drinker now um but he doesn't drink until five o'clock it used to be five o'clock and now it's five my mum set that that time frame so because he can drink at five o'clock it's it's controlled drinking for my dad you know he started off years and years ago having two cans a day and then it was four cans a day and now he drinks eight cans a day minimum um, but that's normal, you know, that, and, yeah. and that's fine for him. It's, you know, his life is manageable. So, um, but yeah, as a, as a kid, obviously he, he drank. My mum never drank. My mum's never been interested in drink, really. Um, a handful of times I've ever seen my mum tipsy, you know. Um, but my dad always liked to have a drink. And if we went out on days out, we went to Ingleton Falls, I remember, every year. And even going walking around the waterfalls, you know, on this eight mile walk, my dad would have to have a couple of cans with him and sort of, you know, drink on the way around and drink whenever we stopped. And we'd wow. have to always, we went out for a day, we went camping. We'd always go to the pub, you know, that was the main yeah. thing really of the day, we'd, we'd end up in the pub. Um, and if my dad comes to my house now, you know, he brings, he comes, he has two cans in his pocket and the kids know him, grandkids know him as granddad Carling. <laughs> so it's always been there um but I mean there has been times that my dad had struggled with it and that's his story you know that's yeah. that's his life but as a as a child growing up I knew there were some issues because there was um he behaved in ways that he wouldn't behave when it was when it was sober you yeah. know but one of my earliest memories of alcohol when I've you know since I've been in recovery and I've thought back um, things that I thought might have actually planted some kind of seed or made me think differently about alcohol. was so when my sister got taken into hospital. So I'm nine years older than my sister. Yeah. So I'll have been about 11. My sister was two. Um, taken into hospital, really bad breathing problems. And I can remember my mum going in the ambulance and my dad being in the kitchen and being stood at the back door crying. Um, and he just downed a can. And then yeah. he, I'm, I'm off, I'm off out. And he went to club. 
and we live around the corner from a working men's club and that's where we went sort of daily yeah for, not day, he didn't go daily um he'd go a few times a week you know he had yeah. he, he was a window yeah. cleaner so he'd, he'd he'd work sort of nine till half past 11 and then he'd be in club for 12 you know yeah um with a few quid that he collected on his window round <laughs> and that so that's where we went on on that day and i can remember being upset you know th- I didn't know what was going on with my sister and I had a younger brother that I was looking after and we didn't know what was happening with her. We were worried for her and, and my dad just went and did that. And I know now that that was his way of coping. Yeah. You know, that was his crutch. Um, and I love my dad to bits, you know, I, I absolutely do. And I, I understand him since I've been in recovery, I definitely understand him more and why he has drank the way he has. Um, I'd say his, his drinking is a lot more controlled nowadays. And, yeah. yeah, that's good. And we're, but I don't uh, think it left an impression. Definitely. And like I said, we're, like, like you said, your, your dad's story is his story. And people might wonder, you know, why I've potentially sort of started this podcast with that. But I mean, you, I, I would suggest that sort of the daily consumption of alcohol was normalized to you at, at probably an age before you even realized it was forming or or it was normalizing yourself um Mm. so so you've grown up with your dad or in a household let's say where where alcohol is is readily consumed by the grown-ups um but you yourself much like all of us i'd say in the uk sort of had some experiences of alcohol certainly under the age of 18 and i think you said so probably the, the age of 14 you had you had a drink but but I was reasonably surprised to read that you you, you sort of remember that you, you experienced a blackout. You didn't realise it was a blackout, but at the age of 15. So um, you probably can't remember all that much that that's the nature of a blackout. But was that, um, did you set out to get drunk that day? Do you recall that or, or accidentally consumed a bit much or? What was strange about that, I'd, um, I'd gone... I'd gone out with some friends. I, I, at that age, I was hanging about with people that were older than me. Okay. Um, and we'd gone out to, to a club. In fact, we'd gone to a pub and I, I, she decided she wanted to go a different way. She wanted to go home. She was into other substances, yeah. shall we say. And yeah. I'd never, I'd not been exposed to them at that point. And, um, and I wanted to carry on drinking. I wanted to go out. Yeah. And yeah. at the age of 15, I went to a nightclub on my own in Bridlington. <laughs> on my own in Bridlington. You know, this is miles away from my home. Never been to this place before. Right. Um, and we'd gone away with her parents. So I went to the nightclub and I can remember, you know, it's, I, I cringe now to think and the position I put myself in, but I can remember being on the dance floor, trying to dance next to people so that I didn't look like I was on my own. But of course I was. But yeah. the more I drank, the easier that was to fit in with people, you know, more confidence, just going up and dancing with people. So I can remember being in the nightclub. I can't remember getting home. And then the next day, um, everybody sort of being mad at me and and saying that I'd I'd come home in a state and I'd been sick all over the bathroom and and I'd sort of made a scene and and I couldn't remember any, and I thought they were lying. I honestly thought they were lying. Um, And I thought they'd made it up and then, it wasn't until three years later that I did a similar thing uh, on my birthday, on my 18th birthday. Someone found me. Apparently I was conscious. I was yeah. talking. And the, the family had put me to bed. 
And I don't remember any of that either. You know, and it's a very so, similar thing. So that that sort of experience at 15, you know, hot footing it down to the nightclub on your own, away away from home, away from your parents, obviously being supervised mm-hmm. by somebody else's parents. Uh, that those years between 15 and the 18th birthday you just described was was the drinking sporadic through then, you know, uh, or was it was drinking a regular thing sort of between that age of 15 and 18? I think I drank like most of my friends. Yeah. You know, at that age, we were experimenting. We were going out to nightclubs on a weekend and getting in where we could, you know. OK. Um, it was a bit easier in them days. You didn't have to take ID. So we'd, we'd go to a nightclub every other week if we could afford it. OK, um, yeah. And I do think my, I think the difference that I saw in myself then is that I didn't drink the same as my friends. I didn't drink the same drinks. Yeah. So my friends would drink half a lager. I could never drink half a lager. And at 15, I was drinking Southern Comfort. Wow. Which is, you know, yeah. it's an old man's drink, really. You know, that's how I see it now. And then when I was really sick on Southern Comfort, I mean, I can't stand the smell of it now. Um, even now since then but I drank what was called long long vodkas right. uh, I drank a star is bittering okay yeah and so it was more expensive than what my friends were drinking but I couldn't drink cider and, and lager I, I was on spirits I was on yeah. spirits and that's that's the difference I think so yeah so so would you say um sort of come the end of of a night out how, however long you'd been out would 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 you often find yourself potentially a bit in a, a more worse state than your friends who've been on the half lagers and you've been on the sort of the Southern comforts or, or the long vodkas all night. Were you, or, or had they caught you up anyway, you all found yourselves rolling around or did you, did, do you remember standing out potentially for, for your drunkness amongst your group mm. of friends? I didn't stand out for my drunkness. I stood out for my behavior. Okay. So that's my behavior when I, when I've had a, when I'd had a drink, my behaviour was different to my friends. Um, okay. Definitely dropped my inhibitions. I've, I see myself now, I recognise myself as being an attention seeker. You know, I had to do things that got me attention, um, whether that be dancing on tables or just acting stupid in general, really. Yeah. Um, but that, you know, I was, I was the one that had a story to tell afterwards. And I was the one that people would talk about afterwards. Oh, you never guess what? So we did, you know. Yeah. And that was all through drink, you know that bravado that I got and that confidence that I got through drink was, was more amplified more than my friends. I'd say. And did you, did you in, enjoy that almost? Cause I know, I know for many years, I, I, I was almost played the court jester really on, on nights out. And I, I used to enjoy sort of hearing the next week what, you know, that I remembered quite a lot of when, what I'd been up to, but I, I, I used to quite enjoy people re, re, retelling stories of my, drunkard behavior were you, were you similar or were you a bit more head in hands oh no what have I done let's let's try not to go there again <laughs> um I think I was definitely loving the attention you yeah. know I did up to a point I would say through my through my, definitely that time it was all about going as far as I could and yeah. being as wild as I could and then yeah. getting all the attention and talking about the next day and phoning my friends it never guess what I did last night and all the attention being on me but then as the consequences got worse and worse throughout my, you know, later years of yeah. drinking, obviously then that changed because then it was, you know, four-headed horseman, you know, terror bewilderment and oh, what, what yeah. have I done, you know? Yeah. And you then. had, um, as as we grow older, 
our responsibilities do it, it it might not be in the form of of children or or relationships but you know we we tend to have jobs by you know once we've left school and and then we tend to you know have bills to pay don't we even if it's sort of sharing somewhere with your friends um so yeah that that responsibility even if it's only in a small amount the consequences of of the nights out they hold a little bit more or there's there's more to be lost isn't there than just a bit of um shame amongst your social group that's it i mean i think that you know my drinking you said between 15 and 18 um i was pregnant at 20 okay and, and then so the drinking and the sort of going out to clubs and things that I'd done then came to an end, you know. And, yeah. And I think that then I just went on to um to just binge drink, you know, when I went when I went out and yeah. there were consequences to that and it has affected my life. But um, but yeah, there were more, you know, more responsibilities and I could I could put down the drink. I didn't drink at home or anything, you know. Yeah. Um so, sort so of prided you... myself on that. Yeah, and that's you sort of said, you know, in your in in the notes I've got here that you you didn't drink at home, um, but that kind of changed sort of at a time you sort of had a bottle of aftershock. Maybe you'd brought it back from a holiday, I think, uh, and you did actually what what I did. Um, or I, I I think it's I believe where my alcoholism started. I started having a drink uh after work daily to take the edge off and you you've written you know in the notes you sent me to take the edge off you know the baby etc i think our time frames were different i i used to come home from i finish work early i work on the golf course so i i'm, I'm home by 1 o'clock each day and my my wife and my daughter weren't getting home till 5 5 30 um you you know you're in your notes you sort of talk about the baby had sort of gone to bed and you sort of around 10 o'clock in the evening might have a an aftershock or something to settle the nerves or to take the edge off the day you know the, the work day and putting the baby um it for me that just took off and i i didn't realize what was happening uh 18 months had gone by and i'd been drinking vodka daily um but for you um do you remember sort of that feeling you sort of taken the edge off the day and then was it the next day the brain was reminding you you know perhaps I, I need to do that or I want to do that do you, do you remember experiencing that Zoe? I think that with the aftershock that was I've got three children and that was with yeah. my first child so I was in early 20s and that bottle of aftershock I remember it so clearly because it was out of character I used to work till 10 o'clock and I'd get I got home and that bottle that we brought back I can remember going and just having one or two shots and that feeling where your shoulders relax, you know, getting yeah. that, that feeling. Um, but once that bottle had gone, I don't, you know, I, I don't remember doing that with any other alcohol. Okay. You know, it, it came and it went and then, um, and then, you know, me and my husband separated and, and um, I'd had another baby and my drinking, you know, there were t- I didn't drink for three months. Okay. To, be, to be honest, I didn't drink for three months because, I'd, um, when I separated from my first husband, my drinking put me in a pretty bad frame of mind. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I had thoughts that weren't like me. Mm-hmm. So I decided to stop drinking. And I, and I did. I gave up drinking for three months, met a new partner, 
um, so this was approaching sort of my 30th birthday, yeah. really. The thing that I do remember is that close to my 30th birthday, which is when I was getting into that relationship, I would have one glass of wine a night because at that time I was obsessed with the gym. Okay. Now I have had obsessions. This, this is where my alcoholism, yeah. I think, has laid dormant because I've been able to replace the alcohol with something else. So I had an obsession yeah. with the gym. Um, so I just drank one glass of wine a night. And then I remember going on holiday to Egypt and discovering gin. And, you know, the waiter had recognised me and it'd be, oh, and, oh, yep, gin, and it'd be 11 o'clock in the morning, you know. Yeah, oh, wow. And then it was Long, Long Island iced teas. And I'd drink all day at the pool, fall asleep at the pool, wake up, get ready, drink at night. And then yeah. and that was it for seven days. And I do remember coming home from that holiday and then fast forward 12 months and 12 months later thinking, I think I've drunk gin every day since that holiday. Well, uh, yeah. And that, that was a thought, you know, of, wow, what's happened, you know? Where's, where's a year gone? Um, I've got something, something that, I mean, I think it's so, so common for, for, for anyone probably who experiences alcoholism or struggles with alcohol consumption, but I've just got it highlighted here and you sort of, it's just before you mentioned the gin story in your notes, but you, you said, I remember not liking the taste, but loving the effect. Mm. And I think so many people listening to this podcast will, that will just resonate. I mean, that could, you could put that on a t-shirt. That could be the, the podcast. That could be the title for this podcast, but um, that is that's something I sort of want to sort of get into a little bit, Zoe, because people like me and, and yourself, we don't like the taste, but but the the effect it has. You just mentioned, and I again, I, I'm so many similarities with me that you take that drink and your shoulders relax. I remember for me, it was more my shoulders would relax and I would sink into the sofa, and it and I would everything would melt away uh, for I mean, the first week or two that I was sort of drinking vodka and I came in from work, I'd feel like I'd be in that relaxed state for up to 90 minutes sometimes. Um, but I think the point I'm trying to make is um, we'll do daft things, won't we? And I'll, I'll ask you to explain sort of, it's almost comical. It sounds daft to say, but, You'd, you'd hold your nose to, to get alcohol into, into you. And people, people who don't have a drinking problem listening to this podcast, that what, they'll struggle to get their brain around that, won't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember first doing that when I was 15. And I can remember being at someone's house and, um, and I'd had an argument. I'd had an argument with a boy, actually. And... I went into the kitchen and it was at his mum's house and found a bottle of gin and didn't, didn't like the smell of it. Tried, yeah. to, tried to, didn't like the taste of it. But I wanted something to make me feel better. And I remember that as clear as day. I can remember holding my nose and drinking as much as I could and then being sick, you know, shortly afterwards. Um, so that isn't normal behaviour you know, no. at 15 years old, trying to get that. But I recognise it now in recovery that that's part of my, of the disease that I suffer from. Later on at the back end, so I'd started drinking sort of from my 30s, early 30s. And at the very back end of my drinking career, 
um, I'd drink vodka neat from the bottle and hold my nose. And just a few weeks before I came into recovery, um, I'd, I'd drink wine because that would give a good effect, you know, because yeah. I like the taste of it, because I like the, I, I was drinking Henry Weston's because it was <laughs> the strongest side I could get my hands it's, on, you know. Yeah, it was, it was my best friend for a few years. <laughs> yeah, none of this fruit cider, you know, no, 4.0, no. you know, it's got to be the, in the eights. Um, so I can remember drinking that and then um, and gin, you know, I'd have to put triple, you know, at least triple and then it'd be sort of more gin than there was tonic and and then having vodka and I can remember putting vodka under the bed and this was literally a couple of weeks before before I, I reached out to my mum and I'd, I drank in those last couple of months, maybe six weeks even, you know, that's how quick it was. Um, I drank to what I'd call oblivion and I'd yeah. drink so much that my body couldn't move, you know, wow. and I'd be laid on the sofa at night and I'd have, I'd have drank and drank and my husband would have gone to bed. And I do remember not many occasions, but maybe one or two where I couldn't physically walk up the steps to bed. Yeah. Um, and putting a bottle of vodka under the bed one night and this was close to Christmas, 2018. And I knew that because I drank so much, what would happen is I'd go into a deep sleep for a couple of hours, but then I'd wake up and I'd be awake. Yeah. But I knew that by drinking it, it put me to sleep. So I woke up and then holding my nose, drinking the vodka, and then that feeling again, and then going back to sleep. And then I knew that that was a problem then. You know, people, my friends don't drink like that. They don't need that effect. And, and that's when I reached, I sent my mum a text message. <laughs> saying yeah. And that 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 behavior is, as you said, it is not normal behavior, but it is it is when addicts get to the point where, you know, sadly, we're beyond rational thinking. Uh, it's not we are we are picking up the bottle and taking the lid off. We, we are choosing to consume that you know the vodka in the middle of the night that we've got stored under the bed but we're it's not really us choosing to do it is it so it's and someone watching this might say well it is you of course it's you but it's not that that is the disease that zoe talks about it when when you're at that point you you need well you reached out zoe i i don't think i my mum my mum found me in a state where I was, you know, my lying, uh, couldn't hold up anymore. You know, I was being so physically violently sick that I needed medical attention. I still tried to fight it. And when my mum went to visit the doctors, so, um, you know, she left the house for 10 minutes and I was spewing up blood one second and trying to drink vodka the next, uh, Two hours later, fortunately, in hospital, I had that moment where with my middle brother sat next to me in a cubicle where I just said, you know, I'm I am tired of this. But we're just going to take a short break, guys. I'd just like to remind you that we have a buy me a coffee page set up for the podcast. If you log on to www.buymeacoffee.com and search HWOM, you'll be able to buy us up to five coffees. It's a small financial donation towards the future of the podcast. The content will always be free. We will never hide anything behind a paywall. But if you do wish to make a small donation, we will more than happily accept it. 
Um, as you have heard so far in this episode, addiction can be a very dark subject and it's very brave of Zoe to come on and share her experiences of addiction. And as we move forward in the episode, you'll hear more positives about Zoe's recovery. So let's get straight back to the episode. Thanks so much for listening so far. I, that was a toss of a coin, really. I mean, five minutes before that, I'd been explaining to the doctor that I really don't drink much and I've, I've been really cutting back on my alcohol consumption, which, which is mad, isn't it? Um, so that's, you've sort of just explained very openly and honestly, Zoe, the, the point at which you, or everything that got you to the point that, um, you know, you reached out to your mum. I, I think we've covered everything wonderfully and you've you've been very honest there um so if you could sort of talk us through the initial stages let's you've reached out to your mum um have you said to her i need help i've got a drink problem were you were you were you did you let it all off your chest or did you drip feed her sort of information i mean with me i i just once I opened my mouth, I opened the floodgates. But but how did you go about it? It was Christmas Eve, um, 2018, and I'd crawled into bed. And there were there were bottles, I remember there was empty bottles under the bed. I'd sort of hidden them up at the top. And I knew I was conscious that they were there. And and I can remember thinking, this is this isn't right. And I text my mum saying, I think I'm an alcoholic. And I don't know what time this was. It'll have been late. Um, and there was no reply. And then the next morning, waking up Christmas morning, thinking, in fact, no, I'd, I deleted the message first. So I'd sent the message, but because I was so drunk, I thought that if I deleted it from my phone, that it'd delete it from her phone as well. <laughs> so, yeah, so on Christmas Day, I woke up thinking, oh, no, what have I done? What have I done? Um and then my mum phoned me and saying, do we need to talk? And I'm like, no, honestly, it's all right. I'd had too much to drink, but I'm okay. Yeah. You know, straight away, I was on the on the defensive and in denial again. Um, but then on Boxing Day, my mum and dad came to my house. I drank quite a lot and I got into a bit of a state. And when my husband had gone to bed, I just broke down and I just said, I'm an alcoholic. I just, I can't stop drinking and I'm drinking. And then when I started explaining things, you know, they could see that there was a problem. They joked up until then. You know, I had the yeah. nickname Audrey, Audrey Roberts, because <laughs> I'd go, I'd go from work to my sister's house, um, and my parents would sometimes be there. And the first thing I'd do is go in and pour myself a gin. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, I'm just having one, and then obviously I'd go home and have a lot more. Yeah. But they'd, they'd say, Oh, Audrey's here. You know. And, and that was that, but but once I explained it, you know, the new, and then and then that was it, I was resolved. I, because I told my parents, I thought, I can stop now, you know, they'll help yeah. me and I'll be able to stop. So I went to go and stay at my mum and dad's for a few days. And when I was there, um, I was in a bit of a state, you know, I, I slept a lot when I, when I was there and I wasn't physically dependent on alcohol. Okay. Um, that wasn't my story. Yeah. So I, um, and luckily, you know, luckily I wasn't, but I'd gone to stay and, you know, a couple of days of sleep and things. I can remember my dad saying to me, do you want some mulled wine? <laughs> like, <laughs> no, dad, because mulled wine's got alcohol in. He's like, but it's only, it's only mulled wine. <laughs> 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 like, 
Tony, she can't drink anything. Um, and I came home on New Year's Eve and promised mum and dad I wasn't going to drink. You know, that was it. I was done. And it was going to be my birthday on New Year's Day. And I got home and my husband um, said, we've got that really nice bottle of champagne from when we got married and it's New Year's Eve. Shall we drink it? That's all I needed. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. I make my own yeah. decisions. I don't have a choice over alcohol. You know, I, I do know that. Um, but it wasn't him. It wasn't him feeding me, you know, the, the alcohol. But anyway, that was all I needed. Yeah, I'll, let's have it. Yeah. Shall I get a couple more bottles just in case? Yeah, go and get a couple more bottles. I think he went and got a couple of bottles of wine. Anyway, that night we drank all that and, um, and he went to bed and I did what I did and yeah. I drank. Um, but on that particular occasion, um, I, I raided the medicine cabinet as well. And, you know, that didn't work out well for me. So on New Year's Day, um, I was just, I was broken and I was at that point of, right, now I need help, you know. And I phoned my mum and my sister and told them what I'd done. And um, and they were just like, you were going to stop drinking, what have you done? You know, you've only been home a day and you've done this. And, um, and I couldn't tell them why. I, you know, I couldn't explain why I'd done it. I'd just done it. I just well, I thought well, I was going to just have a bit, you know. Yeah, you did. You you didn't know yourself, did? Well, you you knew yourself. You didn't. You couldn't have known why you did it. I mean, it was, it was the addiction, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah um. Definitely. So, yeah. So you've 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 reached well, you've reached out a couple of times, haven't you? You've reached out on sort of Christmas Day, and then then a week later. Mm-hmm. Um. How did you? How did you come about the recovery program that you're sort of still using today, Zoe? Yeah, so New Year's Day, um, I looked up AA, I looked up Alcoholics Anonymous online, yeah. and I got um, I put my email in, and then somebody phoned me. They didn't phone me that day. It might have been a day or two later, but I remember my first meeting was the 6th of January, and that was 2019. Okay. And... I went to a meeting, um, I went to a meeting on my own, and I don't know why, but, well, I do know why, I do know why, it's because of, you know, preconceived ideas and stereotypes, and I went to the meeting in jogging bottoms and a t-shirt because I thought that everybody in there was going to be <laughs> just like tramps and, you know, yeah. and, and still carrying things in paper bottles, I really thought that was going to be what it was. And I got such a shock when I when I got there, really, you know. Yeah. And it was a nice shock, a really nice it's, shock. Yeah, I think for me, I mean, I I I used AA for for a year. I mean, we're about you're sort of talking about the sixth of January, twenty nineteen. My my first AA meeting was Boxing Day, twenty seventeen. So throughout sort of twenty eighteen, I attended AA three to regularly three times a week, but but four times some weeks, but, um, they are, you know, it's the most welcoming, some of the most welcoming experiences of my life. And some of the, I I won't say happy, but, but to be somewhere in a room with people who are all content and, and happy in their recovery. Mm. Um, so we, we, you know, AA is Alcoholics Anonymous, but um, 
we won't. We we obviously not going to talk about locations or or people that you attend meetings with. But would you be would you be able to sort of talk us through what AA has done for you or or what what AA offer has done for you in your recovery? I know you sort of mentioned that um, it hasn't been plain sailing, and there there has been a few stumbles along the way. I think that's probably fair to say, is it so? So. So talk, maybe talk us through that, but obviously you're now 18 months sober. So even though you started this journey sort of nearly three years ago, you're now 18 months sober. When you had a stumble, it didn't send you back down the road of, of alcoholism, did it? Although we are alcoholics, it didn't send you back that road of, of continuous drinking. So, so talk to us if you could about, about some of the things maybe that you that you've learned within the program that's that's allowed you to now hit 18 months Zoe. well when i when i obviously went to AA, um i knew straight away that that's where i needed to be you know the yeah. first meeting that i went to um there was someone doing a main share and i can't remember to be honest whether it was a man or a woman but there, i remember really clearly there were two ladies sat behind me and they got me straight away and said keep coming back keep coming back um, and listen for the similarities and not the differences. And that's what I did with that main share. I listened. And most of the things that that person said, I mean, I've heard so many shares and every share that I've heard at every meeting, there has been something that has resonated with me, something that I thought I did that or I thought like that, or that's where it could take me. Um, so I knew that's where I needed to be. I knew that I was an alcoholic. But I thought that because I'd got that knowledge that I was an alcoholic and that I was going to meetings and I was going to meetings up to five nights a week, you know, that it replaced yeah. my drinking during the week. Um, I thought that that would fix me in itself. Right. And then, and then I, and then I relapsed, I had a drink, yeah. you know, and, and it was off the back of an argument with somebody mm. um, because, you know, that's a trigger for me. In fact, to be honest, anything can be a trigger for me. You know, it could be some could be shining, and that's a trigger because I want to drink in, you know, in, yeah. In, yeah, no, you know, I in, in a garden. Um, but definitely emotions, you know, if I'm if, if I'm going through something, that would be my go-to. I would have a drink to make myself feel better. I would have a drink to put myself to sleep so I don't have to think about it. So when things happened in life, I was going to meetings, but I still picked up a drink because that was still my solution at that time. So I'd oh, get 30 yeah. days. Sorry, go on. We're going to say No, something. I was just going to say, so there, there was obviously something in, the, in that initial period. You were, I don't think it would be fair to sort of say you were you're paying lip service by, by just attending and putting your bum on the seat because I'm sure you were doing more than that. But there was something, something didn't quite click, did it? Yeah. Um, and I, I know, I mean, I haven't picked up a drink in over four years, but I've come close I've had I've had alcohol in my hands twice, once with a, a family related argument and once uh, uh, last summer, uh, at a very highly sort of stressful and anxious point at work. You know, we were it was a big golf tournament and we were sleeping on site in in wet tents. We don't need to go. But but it was at a point of really heightened anxiety, um, which almost there is there. There is some, there's sometimes you just can't beat it, can you? But do you, did, so did you, 
did you almost get into a habit of attending AA, but you were still relying, you were relying on AA in a sense, but then you were still relying on alcohol as well for a period. What it was, I see now when I look back, is that I wasn't ready. I didn't, yeah. I didn't want to give up alcohol forever. I went and I thought, if I come and I start drinking for a few months, I'll be able to drink like a normal person. Yeah. I'll be able to drink like my friend. You know, I would go and I'd reminisce about times when I'd got drunk and just done silly stuff years and years and years ago. I remember that time that I gave up drinking for three months and then I drank normal after that. You know, I'd, yeah. I'd think of that. Um, so I wasn't ready, you know, I, I, I was thinking to myself, but what if, you know, but what about Christmas? But what about my birthday? Am I never going to be able to have a drink? And because that was there, I'd never got step one of the 12 step program. Yeah. You know, and that is the foundation. I understand that now. You know, I absolutely had to concede that I was an alcoholic, you know, and that I was powerless over alcohol and my life was unmanageable. And I was paying lip service to a certain extent because I was saying, yeah, I mean, I, I was saying those things, but I didn't truly believe it. I did think there might be a chance that I'd be able to drink again at some point. Yeah. So my experience is that, you know, those relapses that I had, for me, each and every time I had a drink, which was probably, I think it might be four occasions over that 18 month period, every time I had a drink, it was worse. Right. Every single time it was worse. Um, to the point, just unbelievably worse. You know, I, I went into um I went into a bar and I thought I'll have one glass of wine. Okay. And they had flavoured gins. And I said, I'll have one of each. And he's like, what What now? And I'm like, yeah, I'll have one of each now. And I had all the flavors. There must've been four drinks plus my glass of wine. And I was drinking like this. Just unbelievable behavior. I'd never behaved like that before. Um, and obviously then there was, what happened that night was just, was just terrible. Um, so it got worse and worse, but that's what I needed in my recovery now, I see, to show me I'll never be able to drink like a normal person because I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. I can't drink normal. Yeah. And I think what with me, um, accepting, admitting I'm an alcoholic, as you say, accepting I'm powerless where alcohol is involved. It, it's actually, it's opened my eyes to some other sort of character traits and behavior traits that, that still exist in my life today. Um, I'm, I'm over my buying too many pairs of trainers and spending too much money on things I don't need. But but I, I went through a period of in early recovery. I was staying sober, but I was I was displaying addictive behavior in other areas. Um, and that took me about probably two years to understand. And then another year to work on. I mean, I, I, I did, I'm sort of now four, I'm into my four, fifth year of sobriety. I'm sort of four, four years and three months sober. But I'm only now at a point where I, I understand addiction to a point. I, no one will ever fully understand addiction. So that should be off. Um, but yeah, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, I, I could for probably for three years of sobriety, I could say I, I, 
I was a sober, fully in recover. I was sober, recovering alcoholic, but I was, I was behaving in addictive ways within my life that weren't, weren't, you know, doing me too much harm. Um, but it went to show me that I hadn't fully got my head around the disease. Um, so let's sort of move into, you're now 18 months sober zoe you're um you're you're attending regular meetings and you sort of you it's okay to say that you you live in a, a household of recovery now don't you um yeah. does that does that does that work in perfect harmony or does that throw up some the odd battle <laughs> funny question i know i know yeah. your husband is 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 sober for for longer than sort of me and you put together isn't he but um yeah he is yeah how does how how does that work um does it work well yeah <laughs> it does in some respects and it doesn't in others yeah definitely the the beginning of our relationship we would both say now and we would both advise anybody um coming into recovery don't get into a relationship in early recovery and um, yeah, yeah, they do recommend that if you absolutely. attend a meeting, don't they? You know, and, and my sponsor told me, don't do it, don't do it. He's a lovely guy, but don't do it. But I was sold on him already. And, you know, the reason she told me not to do it is because I wasn't emotionally ready. You know, I didn't have emotional sobriety. Yeah. I was, I kept real off arguments that we had. My response, my go-to was still to drink. Um, his response was was different. You know, he'd, he'd worked, he'd been in the programme for 11 years, not had a drink. Um, now, my his sobriety could have quite easily been mine, as in he could have lost those 11 years sobriety yeah. off the back of our relationship and the problems that it brought to us. But I could never get to his level of sobriety, so it was, you know, there, was, there were problems there at first. But we worked through them, um, and I think the biggest, the biggest thing really was that the longer that I stayed in recovery and worked with my sponsor and worked through my steps, I got a better understanding, which meant that those defects of character that you mentioned, the things, one of my main defects was attention seeking. I okay. need attention. And that can be really detrimental in a relationship. You know, yeah. um, I don't feel like that nowadays. I don't feel like I need attention from other people, you know, and I feel quite secure in myself and, and securing my relationship. So our relationship at the moment, and since since we've been married, we got married last year, since I've been sober, funnily enough, <laughs> has been quite harmonious. The Fantastic. only time I would say that it causes, because he's 13 years now, um, I will mention things to him and he'll say, do you know what? You might as well just start sponsoring me or will you take me through a book one of these days? Because I'm very active in terms of doing service in fellowship. Yeah. Um, he goes to one, maybe two meetings a week, but I've got service in a lot of different areas yeah. because I'm still really eager, I'm motivated. I want to get the message yeah. out. I especially want to help ladies in recovery. Um, you know, so he, he likes that and he enjoys that and he supports me with that, but we are at different, sort of on different pages, but but we are both sober and we do support wow. each other as there. I mean, I think, Zoe, that is almost a, a perfect place to sort of finish, really. I mean, the fact that just chatting to you for the, the period I have been to, I, I can see that you are 
as you just described, you are, you are happy, you are, you are content and you're comfortable within yourself, which, which is absolutely wonderful to see. Uh, and hopefully this little podcast that we're doing here can help other ladies in recovery. I mean, my, my story is a male one. I am a man. Um, and in the, the episodes that I have put out, I've tended to, to chat with um, male guests, but I, I, I did record a podcast with a wonderful lady, Becca over in Canada. So potentially, I don't know if you have Twitter Zoe, but I could certainly put you in contact with Becca and, you know, and there, there's an, another female voice that you could potentially work with in your sort of to, in that helping women in recovery, because um, as a man, <laughs> I, I, well, I don't understand my wife very well at the best of times. So for me to, to suggest <laughs> I could understand women in recovery would be, would be daft, but um, you have been a wonderful guest. So before I say goodbye, I, I will just remind everyone that they can reach out to me at H W O M the pod at gmail.com. Um, just drop me an email. Uh, I will, if Zoe is happy to, I will share her details in the show notes. So any ladies, I'm sure any men listening to this, if you don't want to get in touch with boring old Stu here, you might want to get in touch with Zoe. Uh, I'm sure she would gladly offer some advice if she could. Um, we have the buy me a coffee. Uh, I'll, I'll link that in the show notes. We don't want to push that too much. And my mum's walk for cancer will be in there. Zoe, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You've been an absolutely wonderful guest. Um, you were so honest with the email you shared to me in the build-up, and you've been wonderful. Um, anyone watching this, if, if we put this out as a video, I'm sure some anyone watching it will view you as you know, very relaxed and very content, and you've been smiley all the way through this interview. Um, if we just put it out as an audio, I've just explained you as best I can for those listening. Uh, so before we say goodbye, is there anything you'd like to to just uh, promote? Uh, any points you'd like to bring up that I may have not touched on uh, before we before we uh, end this? I think. The message that I'd like to give out really is that if anybody is struggling, then then to reach out, you know, reach out to look for there's various fellowships dealing with lots of different substances, you know, not just alcohol. Yeah. And to reach out to look and, you know, there is help there and there is a solution, you know, it's a 12 step solution for me, but there are solutions there for everybody. Well said, Zoe. Uh, I won't say anything more on top of that. I will say thank you very much for joining me on Henry Weston's I'll make the podcast and I look forward to chatting to you again, Zoe. Thank That's you very me. much. Thank you. Bye.